Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roleplay Chat. I am Matt, and we are game masters who cannot stop talking about role-playing games. Today, we're going to be talking about player collaboration. And I am joined today by Nick from the Scry Society, who's going to be our guest for today's episode. Nick, why don't you say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Nick, and as Matt said, I am from Scry Society, which is a, a TTRPG variety streaming channel uh, on Twitch and, and Twitter, where I, uh, I run monthly charity one-shots playing uh, different TTRPG systems. And I'm really uh, excited to be here today. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm really pumped to have you too, Nick. I, I've been interacting on and off when the Twitter algorithm uh, <laughs> allows me to with, with your stuff. And it's been a long time coming, so I'm really happy to have you on the show. Um, you said you, you want, run a lot of one-shots. Is there, is there a system that you like running your one-shots in, or is there a favorite one-shot that you, you, you really so like? So I've primarily been running them uh, using D&D 5th Edition, but uh, I have been finding that that system for a three-hour one-shot is definitely tough to condense it all. Um, and so I've been kind of spreading out. And so actually this next Saturday, I'm going to be running one using the Kids on Broom system, which is from the Kids on Bike system um, from... Spencer Stark and a few others, uh, but it's really cool, and uh, I'll actually talk about it during this um, discussion because there's there's a ton of collaboration with that game. But um, yeah, so D and D is my my definitely the one that's closest to my heart. And how long have you been in the tabletop uh, RPG sphere, if you will? Um, I've been playing TTRPGs for probably about twenty three years or so uh, since I checked out the monster manual when I was like 10 years old at the library um, just because I thought the pictures were really cool um, <laughs> and played on and off throughout high school um, took a little bit of a break um, after 4e had come out and then um, about I don't know 10 years ago my wife bought me uh, the red the starter box for um 5e or it was when DD next so i might be off a couple years but basically uh i jumped right back into it with 5e and um kind of haven't looked back it's kind of nice i mean people some people have their gripes with the DD systems but honestly it's it's awesome that there's a, such a streamlined version of this game to introduce yeah. people to the hobby it's it's been great um when you run your one shots, is it usually with people who are already familiar with playing RPGs, or do you have a lot of uh, a, a lot of first timers joining you? Yeah, so I try to mix it up actually. So I've got like a, on my my interest form, my um, you know sign up form to to be up on one of the charity streams. I ask a lot of questions like, "Have you ever streamed before? Have you ever played a TTRPG before?" And and I think I ask you know a few times, not at all, or, or a lot, something like that. And so I try to mix it up a little bit so that um, you get kind of a good variety of player experience. And, and I wouldn't I wouldn't put like a, you know, a 30-year veteran with a person who's never played and then just leave the person who's never played to figure it out. Um, it's, it's, but I do try to mix it up at least a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, we've had a variety of folks. Most have at least some dabbling in TTRPGs. Like if I say armor class, they know what I'm talking about, but 
Um, I did I did recently have an experience, not on my channel, but on another channel where I played, I ran a game for two people who had, one had never played D&D and one hadn't played in 25 years. And they did great. They actually, they did incredible. Um, so yeah, I agree with what you were saying. I think that's because 5e, it does allow people to step into it easier than any other edition has. Awesome. Cool. And I apologize for the listeners if you hear my my three-month-old screaming upstairs. I don't know. <laughs> Nick, can you hear him? Is he... I, I just I just did, but, you know, considering I also have a sick <laughs> toddler at home, maybe folks will hear her in the background as well. Yeah, it, it adds to the reality of the show, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's great. I... I love it when people come together to play. I mean, that's honestly the, the best part of this hobby and the fact that you're yeah. doing it for charity, no less raising money for, 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 for good causes makes it even greater and, and why people should go check out your, your channels. Um, but um, it's really interesting to me that, you know, today we're going to talk about player collaboration as our, as our main topic of conversation. And I'm, I'm actually really curious to find out how you weave that into one shots because I actually, that's one of my blind spots. So I'm hoping you have some, some, some strategies to share, but if not, don't, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so, so today's topic of conversation is going to be player collaboration. And what we like to do on the show here, uh, Nick, is we really like to define our terms and, you know, people listening already know this. We're not professionals in this field. So it's okay if our definition doesn't exactly jive sure. with uh, what's out there. But just so that we're on the same page, let's let's kind of build a definition together, um, and we can use that definition throughout tonight's conversation. So yeah. I'll I'll throw it to you first. When you say player collaboration, what's the first thing that comes to mind? What is it that you're thinking of? Uh, I'm thinking of from the GM's perspective or the DM uh, involving the players in not just reacting to your narrative, but in helping to craft it and um, turning it into a little bit more of a shared or collaborative experience. Um, so uh, sort of just a slightly different way. You know, there may be folks that are listening that are saying to themselves, well, yeah, that's how I've always run my games. That's just how I play D&D. But I, I have in my time, I've experienced, there are some folks who I would say run, it's a little bit less shared or player collaboration, and it's more like I'm the GM, and I say what happens, and you're the players. You just roll to see if you can hit this monster or pick this lock, and we kind of keep it. It's sort of transactional. So mm -hmm. I think I think this is a little bit more iterative, maybe the right word. Yeah, yeah. And if I can add to that, I, I first off completely agree with you. You know that that's part of the beauty of this game for me, or any of these games for me. Um, and I think when we talk about collaborative storyteller storytelling or, or player collaboration in our games, I, I think it it goes. It's important to note that we're not just saying players contributing to the game master's vision. I, I think it's a shared vision. It's a shared vision between all of the people at the table. Sometimes a player will have a really cool idea about another player's player character, or they'll help seed parts of that person's background into the game. So it's it's really this multi-connected web of collaboration, if mm -hmm. I can add to your definition, right? It's, yeah. it's not just contributing to this story on rails, maybe, that your game master is mm -hmm. putting you through, but everybody working together, feeding into this like one construction together 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think just adding one more sort of, not caveat, but sort of another way of thinking of it is, I'm, and I'm not just talking about um, describe how you kill this bandit, yeah. which is, I think, an example of it. It is like, hey, I'm, I could just say, yeah, you, your sword strikes the bandit down and they're, they're dead. Uh, by asking the player to describe it, which I think is the most common example of this, uh, you are inviting the players to kind of flesh out the narrative a little bit. But I think it's taking that and then expanding it into other areas. And so I think we can talk about today, not just in the game, but even prior to the game with um, establishing sort of the campaign setting, the world you're going to be in, or even, you know, collaborating with each other to build their characters. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. And and I think, you know, there's different levels of collaboration that can be sought at a table, right? Mm -hmm. You can start off with with very little maybe you have very new players or players who are comfortable doing it and you can have them describe the way they kill monsters and that's it and that's a perfectly acceptable form of player collaboration and then on the other end you have players contributing to like the the names and the mm -hmm. beliefs of the deities in the pantheon mm -hmm. of gods and the main factions in your world and they're like really feeding into this stuff sometimes meta knowledge that they have to keep away from their characters other mm -hmm. times they're they're actively contributing to the storytelling in the skin of their character, so that it's kind of like the spectrum, right? And yeah, depending on what the people listening are striving for, you can you can aim it. You can aim somewhere along that line or along yeah, that axis. Yeah. Absolutely. And the last point, I should, at least I think I can make on like what is player collaboration. I think it does go both ways. So it's also the GM collaborating with the players and so that might be rather than saying all right here's the requirements build your character send me your backstory mm. it might be sitting down and talking with someone about their backstory and saying oh that sounds really cool what if you know what if you were from this secret order in this range of mountains that didn't exist until we just talked about it so we can it can go you know the both ways it's not necessarily just um the gm to the player or the player to the gm Super cool. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, all right. Are we happy with, with, our, with our definition? Yeah, I think it only took us a few <laughs> minutes. I mean, we could, we could always add to it. There's nobody, yeah. there's nobody holding yeah, us yeah, to yeah. it. Uh, but, but yeah. Okay, great. So player collaboration. I, I mean, I guess the, the first question that comes to mind, to me, you know, personally, Nick, in your games, what kind of balance do you try to strike? How much player collaboration is Goldilocks zone? Yeah, it's it's definitely it's tough to quantify. You know, the, what is the exact amount? I definitely find that uh, if I've spent most of the time talking, when there's four other players, then I probably wasn't being as collaborative as I as I could have been. And and I have mm -hmm. had some some of my own podcast episodes or, or um, charity streams where I've gone back and watched the VOD, and I was like, oh man, I. I really took the spotlight here. Maybe I could have, you know, maybe I could have opened it up a little bit. And usually it's just because I get excited or passionate about a specific action or scene that's happening. Um, I think I, I, the right amount is going to vary from table to table. But for me, it's uh, it's enough collaboration that my players don't feel like, oh, wow, Nick didn't do any work or any prep. He has no no idea what he's doing. He's just asking us to come up with all these NPC names and tavern uh, tavern names. It is... I'm still crafting or putting out some really core narrative drivers, but then I'm involving them and really like connecting those. So I might know in my head, there's going to be some big climactic scene at the docks. And it may be that the players 
get into combat there, or maybe there's a really intense diplomatic scene there, or maybe there's a stealth scene there. I don't know what it is, but I know that they're they're going to have a mission to go to the docks. Mm-hmm. And rather than forcing them into whatever it is I, I want, I might kind of ask them, well, what do you all think is the best way? And some of this just gets down to like not railroading necessarily, but it might also be, well, what what are the what are the docks like? Like from your character, you you're you're playing an urchin. So what do you remember when your character was there? And he he that player, if they're comfortable, might be like, Yeah, it's a pretty seedy area. So we definitely might want to, you know, kind of dirty up our clothes and do this. So that's an example where I'm I didn't necessarily flesh out the docks, but I might ask them to sort of help me out and meet me in the middle there. Awesome. Yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. And and I agree with you. Like that's kind of my comfort zone too. I've actually, it's funny you talk about players saying, oh, you're asking me too many things to, to mm-hmm. feed into too many things. I've had players before, after the game, come up to me and say like, you know, when you asked us to be involved in the game like this, I, I, I think the exact example was they were going to a festival in this little village. And I, t- I asked them like, what is the festival about? Yeah. Is it like a harvest festival? Is it like a, a, moon, a moon dance festival? Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. What, what is it? And another player had this really great idea. It ended up being kind of comical. It was a watermelon festival where where everybody had to bring a watermelon to like actively participate in the festival. And it was kind of like this this, this silly moment. Yeah. But then after the game, one of the players came up to me and said, "You know, when you asked us that, it made me lose like lose faith in you as a game master." And I was like, "What do you mean? <laughs> what, what do you mean it made you lose faith in me?" Yeah. And and he said, "Because it." kind of shattered this illusion that he had of me mm-hmm. knowing all the answers and me being yeah. this like gatekeeper to the story and that's where i told him like dude that's not the kind of game that we're playing here yeah don't you remember having that conversation at the beginning where we're like we're, we're in this together and he was like yeah but i didn't realize like to what extent anyway it was it was a very we, we came out of that conversation both of us feeling like we better understood the other person's perspective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was it was very interesting to me um, th- to have that conversation. So I'll, the reason I'm s- telling the story is because just because you and I, Nick, really love this kind of gameplay, uh, it's a, maybe a, a flag, a warning that not all players want to be as involved. Yep. Um, and sometimes, depending on where that person, like just because someone has one opinion when they're sitting down as a player doesn't mean that it translates to having the same opinion as when they're the game master. Um, mm. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of rambling. Anyways, so, so Nick, you, that's, your, that's your happy place, is, is having, having people involved in your game, contributing actively to the story. Uh, is, there, is there anything, like a strategy maybe, that you like to employ to kind of get new people? This person in my example, for instance, uh, who who was hesitant to be involved in the story, yeah, and, and collaborate collectively? What would you have done to, to to somebody like that to try to get them initiated, get their toes wet? Well, I think one uh, one approach is, of course, the very important session zero, which we could spend a whole episode talking yeah. about. And I think you, we have you guys one probably somewhere. have, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and just kind of saying, hey, I'm not the type of GM, you know, because there there is that more traditional view of you know look i'm i made my character and i'm here to roll dice i'm not here to help tell a story and that's fine there's nothing if that's the type of player that you are that's totally okay i don't want to cast any aspersions on people who don't 
agree with this sort of way of approaching the game. Um, I think to answer the question, one is, yeah, just during session zero, when you're meeting with the players, hey, what's your comfort level? Um, are you, is this the type of game that you'd be interested in? Because I mean, at, at a certain point, there are just some GMs and players that don't, they just don't mesh well. I yeah. tell players, you don't want to play a game with me if rules are very important to you. I cannot be bothered to, to look up the armor class of a wooden door and what the what the DMG says the hip no I just I'm just gonna say all right this is a DC a, you know that I've thought of roll your athletics and we're gonna do it um, I'm I'm not saying that the rules don't exist for a very good reason they do but uh, don't don't worry about it Pe people listening already know that we're here yes. for the story um, sure 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 but, but yeah, yeah and, so and let's say you have somebody who's trying to get who's trying to become more actively involved as a player yes. in the story, uh, but they don't know how to do it. How, right. how would you, how would you encourage them or, or what kind of strategies would you yeah. ask them to employ? I think one thing is that the DM could give them a little bit of a heads up. Hey, in this session, you know, like my, my wife, for example, uh, in a campaign I used to run, she played a character that was part of a secret order of monks, uh, specifically way, way of the shadow. And, you know, think kind of like league of shadows, you know, the DC sort of Razal Ghoul thing. Um, and I was, you know, I was really focused on building the campaign that I, I couldn't necessarily think up an entire order. And so I remember asking her like, all right, what would you call like the head of the order? Maybe a couple of the different, you know, the highest ranks. Can you give me like an NPC or two? And these were things I did not put her on the spot in the game to say, Hey, so what is, you know, the lead, the leader of your order walks in. What does he look like? What's his name? That's what is super, super important. Putting yeah, people on the so, spot make people it makes them uncomfortable. Right, um, right. And so it's exactly. So I think it's preparing them, not putting them on the spot. And if you are going to put them on the spot, make it a low, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit. It, it doesn't, it shouldn't be, you know, something super pivotal, but it might be like, hey, you guys are heading into this town. This is your hometown. I don't know. What's your favorite in here? That that, that kind of, you know, make it like, oh, I don't know. It's called the Raging Bull. Bartender's <laughs> name I was just going to say, don't ask them to name it because they're going to come up with something ridiculous. Yeah. But <laughs> but no, you're yeah, that that's a really good strategy. I th I think giving people kind of like a lane, you know, say look, mm -hmm. you're part of this order. Do some homework and and come up with some stuff, you know, giving people some some assignments uh, can be fun, especially if you know, it's what they want to do. If, if, if they have fun doing that and, and right. I, let's go with the, let's go with the caveat that they do like, you know, yeah, I think that's probably a safe caveat for us to assume for the rest of this episode is that people, we're going to assume that people want to be involved. Um, so yeah, give people homework. Sometimes you'll be surprised. Like I, I was playing in a game once and we did something like this where we, we divvied up as players. Like the game master said, here's the city. It's going to be a hub of crime. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in charge. Like one person is going to be in charge of the finances. One person is going to be in charge of the like organizational structure of this crime syndicate. And then somebody else is going to be in charge of, of the like police force and the structure that that police force has and how it's trying to combat crime in the city. Yeah. It's not doing a good job, but they're going to try. And man, people came up with some crazy stuff. One guy in, 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 my, in the party had like an actual tree, like a tree diagram of like the police corps and the names of each of the, of the, 
and it maybe 10% of it got used in the game. Yeah. But <laughs> but it was created and it was added and it it had this flavor that just you know there was like a depth to it which was really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I, I think it's all about what this all gets at for me is it's player buy-in and mm. giving players agency. I definitely, you know, I know we use the term homework. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want it to be if the person thought of it, like, oh my God, I've got to, like, I don't want to do this. If, if they didn't want it, then I would say, that's fine. We'll just, let's, we just won't dive into that. Like, I, this isn't me as the DM saying, no, you have to do this. It's if, if someone says like, hey, I, I think it'd be cool if we kind of explored this part of my backstory a little bit. It's all voluntary. I might, you know, if, if a person says, no, actually, I kind of like the idea of it being a mystery. Can you do it? I'm not going to be mad at, as a DM. I mean, the best example for me is I when I I was a player in a podcast that's no longer active called Know Your Role, and I played a character named Relic who was a Warforged, and I started writing this really intricate backstory. And then I went to the DM and I said, hey, Joe, what if I was just a deactivated Warforged found by a couple of dwarves in the bottom of a mine? And I have no memory of who I was or what I was before. And he said, yep, I'm taking that. That's mine now. I'm going to, I'm going to, just and he came up with this whole backstory that I never knew about, and that's an example. Where, yeah, I mean that wasn't very collaborative of me. That was just <laughs> saying, "Hey, DM, take it away," and so that's okay. Yeah, absolutely, it's absolutely fine. Um, another strategy that that I really like to employ when I'm in the game master's seat is I like to leave um, elements, and, and it's going to get a little bit conceptual. So stop me, Nick, if it's too conceptual mm -hmm. or if I'm not making sense, because sometimes I do that. Um, sure. But you know something I really like doing is taking taking like a faction or or even a, a narrative like a beat that I'm I'm looking to meet in the next four or five games like sessions, and I will purposefully omit parts of those of that plot, like a character a, a crucial character who's like the right hand of 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 the of the main villain or whatever. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna flesh that out. I'm gonna leave it purposefully blank, so that as the game plays and as my players feed into it and and make actions and 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 kind of commit to certain positions on mm -hmm. you know the different drama that's going on in the in the setting. That's gonna educate how that character gets built, who that person is, and and I find that it's fun for me because it's like a puzzle that's getting built with all the pieces the players are giving me. Yeah. But then it also pays off, right? Because then the players will be like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's so relevant. And there's no way I could have made it as relevant if I if I had it written out from five or six games ago. Absolutely. Um, it's it's like the Schrodinger's NPC. Like mm. it's both a necromancer and also a uh I don't know, a shadowy rogue character. Like in your head, as it it, it might be changing in response to until the moment the characters finally you know, metaphorically open the box and see what's inside. And now you have this wonderfully crafted NPC that they may not even realize they helped craft. I think that's a really, I don't know if you were saying this or doing this on purpose, but it's almost like that's player collaboration without them realizing it almost. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely on purpose. It's, it's, and, and that, that would be one of my tips for people listening. No, not that we often give tips here, but you know, don't feel obligated to fill in all the blanks because the blanks are, it's it's a strength. It's something that you can leverage. Sometimes you can even, this is where I'm not too sure how I feel about this, but sometimes you can even 
commit to it being a blank and, and, and inform people like go go off to one player who's really invested in the story and say look like i need your help filling in the blanks here let's let's build this together let's build mm -hmm. the uh, manner together like the, the manner where the next clue is going to be i need some help let's make it relevant to your character F fill it in um yeah i'm not sure if you if you do stuff like that in your games Nick. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I think I'm, I'm very much a, I plan big, broad things, um, and then we'll definitely change them. So, uh, an example of this is I ran the um, Water he Water Deep Dragon Heist uh, campaign, uh, and there's for anyone who's familiar or not familiar with it, there's I think four potential big bad villains in that game, and the the way the module is written, you can use any one of them. But it's it's written so that you pick one in the beginning and that's what you go with, and mm -hmm. I didn't like that. I no offense to the to the people who wrote that the module. It's great. I kept all four until probably like at least halfway through the campaign, and and I I kept narrowing it down based on which ones the players were like navigating or were, were um kind of gravitating towards, and and again it's a sort of example of. The players were helping me, they were collaborating with me on determining the final villain because if they had done something differently, it would have been a totally different boss, you know, kind of facing. Yeah, that's cool. And it is, it's, it's, it's interesting that they make you pick at the beginning. I didn't realize, um, I, I like your approach. I think keeping it open-ended is, is definitely the way to go. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so, I mean, we've been talking a little bit about the Game Master seat. And I think the Game Master is often viewed in this position because of the position that we have as a game master as kind of the keeper of of certain elements of the game one way to have more player collaboration is to kind of pass those keys on to other people in yeah. world building in the factions in the in the creation of npcs um that's something that i've done every now and then i don't know what what's your position on allowing players kind of control over over of a space of a, of a faction or of a, of a character like an npc or something like that yeah i mean i think it, it's all about moderation and making sure that you don't let folks step so far because like like you said you mentioned earlier you don't want to force the player into this awkward position where they know all these things and they have to metagame to keep their character from knowing it but but within reason uh, I, I think it's great to have players involved with with the world building. Now, I wouldn't want my players to say like, "All right, hey guys, what's my main villain's uh, primary motivation? Like, why why are they the way that?" Because I want that to be that to get pulled out of the story. But yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're starting a campaign, a brand new campaign, not a no module, you're taking a huge risk by just saying, "I'm going to start my campaign." in a uh, a huge elven tree it's his capital in the middle of this forest uh and it, instead of like pulling your players in and saying hey what kind of game do you guys want to run you know like what would be a cool what would be a cool starting area and maybe it is a cool giant el you mentioned the elven forest and they all love it or maybe they're like ah i don't know i think it'd be cool to do something way more urban than that like more of like a city maybe a floating city in the sky or maybe and, and and so you don't have to force the players to build it for you, but by just having that conversation, even if it's like the one we're having now, it could be thirty minutes, it could be an hour, and then you could go, okay, cool guys, let's let's uh, I'm gonna put something together in two weeks. I'll have like the start of this campaign. You know, mm. it's just 
it's not handing them the whole area. But once you have that, maybe like you mentioned earlier, maybe you might say like, you know, your characters from this, I'm making it up like this floating city in the sky. Um, why don't you like, what kind of a, what kind of government is, is run there? That's a huge decision to put in the player's hands, but it's not like they can really short of them saying it's a monarchy and I'm the king. Um, there's, there's not a lot. I mean, you can work with anything really. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 a really cool example. I like that. I want to play. I want to play in this floating city in the sky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There's there's some of the keys that need to stay in in the game master's mm -hmm. seat for yes, sure. I agree. I I agree with that a hundred percent. One thing too, we talk about players collaborating, being involved in the story. I think the focus tends to be the past. It tends mm -hmm. to be backstory based or a history of a region or, or NPCs that you know, th things like this. But I, I think there's there there it's deserving to also take a look at the future and and how can a game master enable their players? And, and I ask this question without knowing the answer, but how yeah. how can a game master enable their players to have a more active role in the future of the game? Um, and and we, I think we talked a little bit about it with like the the gaps in in mm -hmm. the plot points and kind of doing it without them knowing. But I I wonder if there's a more concrete um, concrete way of doing things. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, of course, the most direct way is you know the player the the characters they affect the future with their their actions. That's the you know that's the the classic. Like, well, they killed this wizard and now the wizard was no longer able to raise his evil necromancer army and they saved the day. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're talking about it in this sort of more conceptual space of how can you involve players in affecting the world ahead of them, um, I think one is sort of the example you mentioned of the festival. That's a thing you're going to do. It's not in the past. It's a Your players say they want to go to this festival and it might be, you might ask them Okay, well, what is this festival like? How long has it been going on? What what deities is it meant to honor? Um, and 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 that's a small uh, that's a smaller example, obviously. But I think the other is taking a little bit of a step out and getting into more of like a meta conversation with the players, maybe before you know a session or in between a session, and saying, "Where do you all see the future of this campaign going? We've played twenty sessions. You all have done this. You've done that." Where, where, what, where do you, this is a big world you're in. Do you mm. all as, you know, moving towards a uh, very much like a court, courtly intrigue, political diplomatic sort of end game? Or do you want to go for more of the classic swords and sorcery? And this is difficult. It's difficult to do without spoiling stuff for the players, but you can sort of get them to help you ensure that you're going to build the best campaign for them because you're just asking them very honestly, what is it you want out of this game? It's yeah. like asking your players, you know, what kind of magic items do you think your character would be interested in getting so that you're giving them, you're setting up opportunities for them in the future that they'll get stuff that fit their character. I think it's just on a much broader scale. I don't yeah, know if I, I think you're onto something. I think you're really onto something there. And actually, I want to take it, I'm going to iterate on that a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it's objective-based, right? It's if a player wants a magic sword, why do they want a magic sword? What's driving them to do that? And, and if if you can get players to communicate those things to you as a game master, or better yet, if you can get characters to communicate their objectives in game, mm -hmm. 
in their interactions with each other or with NPCs, then you can you can lean on that. You can really lean on if there's if there's a a character who's striving to become uh, this monster killer and he wants to go defeat this giant beast in the forest because of something in their backstory. But mm -hmm. they they explain they they foreshadow why they want it why it's so important to them. Yeah, you can really tap into that as a game master. You can be like, okay, yeah, you want your you want revenge on this creature because you think it killed everybody in your family. I'm gonna throw in a curveball. Maybe it didn't kill your sister, and you throw yeah. in the sister, and there's like this cool story that, that yeah. feeds off of the ambitions of the characters. Um, yeah. So on a mac micro scale, right? And the macro scale, you've got, like you said, the swords and sorcery or political games, and, and you can educate yourself as a game master based on the objectives of the, of, of the heroes, kind of what kind of uh, game they want to play. Yeah, yeah, because we're talking about there's so many different levels of player collaboration. There is the one, I know we keep going back to this example, but there's the, you know, what does the NPC that you're here to meet at the tavern look like? What, you know, yeah. what... And that might just be a cool opportunity for the players to be like, oh yeah, he's this half orc and he's he's got you know this or got that. Um, and then there is the broader like, hey, all right guys, we're at about the halfway point. You know, we've probably got because a lot of people's campaigns go for years. My my dragon heist one took two and a half years to to finish. I wouldn't want my players. I wouldn't want to have not checked in and collaborated with them to make sure yeah. that whatever was coming for them was something that was worth playing for that long. Um, absolutely and and even in character i i i think fantastic role play like it's a fantastic opportunity for role play if a character i'm going to use an example in a game that I, i've been playing in for a long time now where one of the characters was looking for his long lost sister mm -hmm. something in his backstory it didn't happen for like two years in like uh out, out of game time but then when we started you know making headway on this quest it, it wasn't it wasn't gonna be a very dramatic moment having them reunite if it wasn't for that player making such a big deal about how excited he was, how how nervous he was to you know to find his sister. Is she is she gonna be the person he thinks she she's she is? And all of those those scenes were acted out in character by by one of my friends in around the table and meeting his sister for the first time was an, an impactful dramatic moment because mm -hmm. of all of the foreshadowing and, yeah. and the like the weight that he gave to that kind of ahead of time so i think it, it's maybe collaborative collaboration in a different sense but it's it's adding impact to the game based on player decisions and, and player actions and, and yeah what they communicate i i think it's just <sighs> A lot of what we're talking about is really just allowing the players' decisions to mean something. And and, mm. and again, I, I I hate that the term railroading has gotten such a negative connotation. It's like, oh, you you railroaded your players. You know, there's you're a horrible DM. Like some people don't want sandbox games. Some people want something that's driving them forward. Because a lot of adventures, one thing that always throws me off in D and D, as soon as your players are like level three or four. Once they have like a plus one sword, they could sell that sword and probably live for a decade without working. Like the gold economy <laughs> is so broken in this game that like if you didn't have something pushing the people, the players forward, like most of them would just retire to become innkeepers by level five. Um, mm -hmm. 
you need there to be like, oh, by the way, this dragon kidnapped your family and is going to destroy the world uh, if you don't stop it. Um, you know, I, I'm terrible at sports. This is probably a dangerous metaphor for me to make. But like I think of if you think of the classic D&D interpretation of the DM, it's like very adversarial. And it, to me, it, it almost it comes across as like baseball. I'm trying to strike you out. Like a DM thinks like, like I've, I've seen DMs out there that brag about getting TPKs. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I ripped my player's character sheet up and I, I drank their tears. Um, you know, <laughs> not, this is not to cast aspersions on baseball, but then I think of the other way of looking at this is more like a game of like tennis where it's like a back and forth. And I know that, I know the goal in both is you're still trying to win, but it's like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then they go, Oh, that I wasn't expecting that. But what if I do this? And it's more of this like pinging back and forth rather yeah. than like, I'm the GM, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'm going to throw a fastball. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to foil you however I can. And I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, like it one... makes complete sense. I agree with it a hundred percent. It's you're, I would even take the sports analogy so far as to say you're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. You're, you're yeah, all on the same team point. And, and the game master is just, a different position. You, yeah. I, I, I also don't know a whole lot about sports, but, <laughs> yeah. and, and I can't think of a good analogy, but you know, you have different roles on mm -hmm. this team. The game master's role is to, to present this environment and to take care of all of the little things that maybe aren't necessarily important enough to warrant one person doing it, but everybody else is, is putting on the skin of this character and it's, they're telling their story, right? Yeah that that's something that i like to stress is that the game master isn't telling the game master's story the game master is here to facilitate the players to tell yeah. their story and you're all working together to tell a story collaboratively yeah. um so yeah this this game master drinking the tears of their of their players <laughs> The only way I would see myself being that person is if I'm also crying because it was a really sad moment and we're all yes. sharing the the, the mm -hmm. soup of tears together. Yep. But <laughs> um, cool. Uh, we're about we're about halfway, and we haven't. I mean, we've talked a little bit about players. We talked yeah. a little bit about their role in all this. But I, I wonder if we can put on a player's hat for the mm -hmm. the second half of of the episode tonight. But actually, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back yep. I, I said i wanted i wanted to pick your brain nick about being collaborative in a one shot yeah i think that is uh incredibly difficult feat because to me a one shot is um is best served extremely railroaded mm -hmm. with a very clear objective with mm -hmm. very little room for interpretation because otherwise the one shot yep. becomes a, a one year campaign and <laughs> it's happened Absolutely. to me. So that's why I say it. Um, so, so I wonder how do you, like, how do you balance out collaboration and kind of the, the parameters of running mm -hmm. a successful one shot in like a three hour window to, like, how do you balance those things out? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on the system you're running. And I think for D&D, it is a challenge. Anyone who's ever watched one of the Scry Society streams knows that the first two-thirds of it, I'm, for me, are my favorite. It's just, like, great role-playing and a lot of, like, character ex characters' interactions. And and then and eventually it gets to be, like, uh, um, 10 
30, 10, 10, 15. And I'm like, oh man, we've got to end the stream in 45 minutes. <laughs> and then the boss comes out and we have these super rushed combats at the end. And for that very reason, I'm sure there are some folks who might tune into our streams and, and say like, hey, this isn't for me because some folks like that two or three hour boss just knock down drag out fight. Um, I say all this as, just like to provide context. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You letting the players just do whatever they want. Like the one shot that I ran uh, last month was a um, was from this um, adventure anthology called Uncaged. And if I had just asked the players from the very beginning, uh, "What do you guys want to do?" They never would have left the main city. I had to say, "There's a threat out in the woods, and you have to deal with it." But I still can sort of say, like, "What is it?" what is the journey for you all like? And that's what, what I did. Like they took a train into town and I was like, just narrate the scene for me. It wasn't me saying, oh, you know, you're doing, I was like, what is happening? And I got to shut up for like 10 minutes while they described this sort of, it was kind of a funny slapstick scene of the artificer kept like taking parts of the train apart to like see what they did. And the, <laughs> the, the conductor had to keep coming in and breaking them up. And so um, I think you have to find the right spots for that kind of collaboration and to sit back and let the players um, talk amongst themselves and describe the scene, but then still be ready to kind of push the action forward. Um, and this is, again, this applies to d and I, I, I have another example with a system we're playing with next week that I can talk about um, after this, to, you know, kind of here once you have a chance to sort of respond to. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and I, I think you touched on something that was, that's, that's, that's really critical um, or, or to me, it sounds like it's it's an important piece of all this. It's giving the players the space to react and to 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 kind of have their own agency over mm -hmm. how they deal with a problem. Right. Um, I, I think that that's probably the that's probably the best way to get people. To yeah, be yeah. So in a one shot, right? You you pose them because often when I run a one shot, it's 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 extremely railroaded. Yep. And I'm not going to get into the whole railroad. Why is it yeah, yeah, actually yeah. better than it is? Because anyway, I don't. I don't want to get into it. But, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but, just because your one shot is you're at the gate of the dungeon. Go save the jewels from the goblins. That's your mission. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the players can't be creative in how they get to there. How they yeah. steal the goblins away from the, the 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 gems away from the goblins. Yeah, and. How they interact amongst each other and the the the, the space that they're in. So I, I like your example of the train. I I think that's great. It's yeah, and, and that's an example where they were literally on rails. So I knew, yeah. I mean, unless they jumped out of the window, I was still safe. It was safe to let them do whatever shenanigans they wanted to do. It is diff. It's different when you are in like a city and you need them to go to this point. If you just bring them to the gates and say, yeah, what do you do? They might be like, oh, let's go into the sewers. We're, let's go find a thieves' guild. And you're like, oh, no, what have I done? This is not any – I don't have any of this planned. I think it's about being careful because I'm, I'm trying to be better about answering your questions concisely. You, you really just ask, like, how do you do it? I think you do have to be, be more careful with a one-shot. Um, but I think key to it is letting the players know in advance – you don't have to tell, sorry, you don't have to tell them before the one shot, have an NPC make it very clear what the goal is. So they know, yeah, we can kind of screw around, but like, this is what we, you know, my one shot that I run a lot is an adventure called Into the Mists. And they get a letter at the very beginning that says like, you're going to get 500 gold if you bring me back this magic item. 
and there's a limited time frame that you can get it done in. So it, it you can kind of do stuff as you like, but like there is ultimately this mission. So you have to make it very clear what is the goal here with the one shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 makes a whole lot of sense. And and I think all one shots ought to be run <laughs> exactly like that. The first five minutes of the game, yeah. it's abundantly clear what the players ought to be doing. Um, yeah, and and I mean, I I think we can. Without sounding like we're being downers, I, I think it's safe to say that a one-shot just doesn't offer the same amount of player collaboration. Yeah. It, it just doesn't. It's it's a it's a finite space, and you have to make some sacrifices as a game master mm -hmm. and as a player, right? A player has yeah. to go into a one-shot, I think, with certain expectations. And one yep. of them is you don't have the, the same liberties as, as in yeah. that ongoing campaign yeah a one shot is much more similar to playing a video game where you you get to that invisible border and you're like wait why can't i go why can't i climb over these crates they're only two feet tall and the dm the dm's like nope you sorry yeah. that alley is closed um the, the one point i did want to make before we moved on from this is that i think there are some systems where you can be really collaborative and that's kids on brooms the one i'm getting ready to play i have fully collaborated with them we're only going to be playing for three hours but we have already I've asked them to help me determine, uh, so Kids on Brooms uh, is just, it is a analog, very much inspired by the world of like a Harry Potter type magical school. You play cool. either underclassmen, upperclassmen, or faculty. Anyway, they've helped me determine where the school is, what's the name of the school, what are the different houses, what's the magical sport, uh, spoilers, mm. it's called Flugelshoot. <laughs> uh, it was not my name. Um, they they've come up with like the colors and the animals associated with each house, and like I, the 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 game system is designed that way. It literally has you like ask the players what is a, a rumor going around the school right now. What's one thing the school is best known for? And so I say all this to say for folks who maybe they they hear this you know episode and they're like, well, I don't really think this works well with D and D. I I want to kind of play D and D the way that I think I should, but like sounds kind of neat to explore like look at some other systems and yeah kids on brooms i think i got it for 10 bucks um the pdf it's it's cool. literally built around this idea of like this is a collaborative experience and they will help you build the world that you're going to play in yeah that sounds like a lot of fun i'm gonna have to check that out um it also reminds me like the, the system i like running the most these days is the fates system and you know i've i've modified it to be a little bit more hardcore to have level progression and things like this but one of the the core elements of the base game is this aspect um is, is is an aspect feature if you will where everything including characters have aspects and they're kind of like the the backgrounds and troubles and 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 bonds of a dnd character but where aspects differ is that environments in the game have aspects and and the game actually often encourages the table of people to come up with the aspects of a space so you enter a church the game master has that planned out you know you go into the church what's this church like you pull out a sticky note you put it on your whiteboard you've got three aspects have at it the church is really dark and gloomy says one character or one player another player says there's a choir singing in the back you can hear it resonate throughout the whole space and then uh, the game master chimes in. Oh, I really like that. But there's going to be uh, there's going to be maybe a couple rooms where you can't hear it, and there's going to be this room and that room. And then you pull out another sticky note and you say complete silence, and you you put it in that room and the and, mm -hmm. and the other room. So 
in a sense, you're you're awesome. creating the aspects of your space completely collaboratively. Um, and that's why I love the fate system because it it yeah. has it baked in, like in the game as you're playing, you're collaborating as a table. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It 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 doesn't leave like how how do I say this delicately? If you like the control of your game as a game master, it's hard. Yeah. If you're somebody who like, you know, you really want to set certain tone in certain spaces, you might be finding yourself saying no to suggestions that people bring up and that maybe doesn't yep. foster the collaboration that you're you're trying to, but uh definitely worth checking out if uh aside no, just, with uh Kids on Brooms, that looks really cool too. Yeah, just hearing you talk about it, I definitely think that would be a really fun one because again, like I said, you know, most of the streams I've run have been D&D because that's what a lot of it's where you know you get the largest audience. It's where the most people are familiar. But it is um, even playing on a streamlined virtual tabletop like I do. It's still like there's if, if you spend five minutes trying to remember what the rules are to grappling or two weapon fighting, like you've already lost you know valuable time. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially if it's a one shot and you got three hours yeah. to do it. Exactly. Um, yeah. No. That that makes a whole lot of sense. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Uh, one shots and and player collaboration kind of how those things smoosh together no um i think that sort of covers it i mean yeah i think it's just sort of just to kind of you know it's it's like make the goal clear make it so when you are having them collaborate it is ultimately in a safe sort of way that's that you're still going to be able to keep things on track and and ultimately i mean this goes back to any of the forms of collaboration that is something the players want to do because i i, I cannot emphasize enough i do not think this is a thing you should force on players if you ask a player and they're like, I, I don't know, and that you know, like if it was at that um, church temple scene you described in Fates, if one of the players was like, I don't know, I'm having like a really slow day, I can't think of anything, you know, can you just figure it out? That's fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. All right, so then let's maybe move on to the player seat. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We didn't touch on your your player history, but do do you play in a lot of games? Yeah, I've actually been lucky enough. I mean, I think I definitely DM in more, but I have been lucky enough to get to play in a few, you know, podcasts or streams here and there. I'm actually, I haven't been in a home, played in a home game in a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, but but thank, thankfully in the TTRPG uh, Twitter sphere, I've met a lot of people that I've been able to be a player in in their games. Um, but pretty, almost exclusively d and I think I've played Quest uh now i think i did play quest which was really fun uh quest rpg uh, but but mostly D. &D. oh and pathfinder i did a, i did a pathfinder cool. game and and when you're in I, and i for your own reference nick i've also been a player quite a for for a long time i feel like my player time actually probably surpasses my my game master time mm -hmm. um but yeah so as a player when you're in the player seat how do you get involved if you want to get involved in collaborative storytelling, what are things that you can do to, to feed into the game, assuming you have a game master who's open to that and who wants that at the table? Yeah, I mean, so short of, of course, you know, the cheat answer to all of these is like, just talk to your, D, your GM. But I think what we're talking about here is really like, how do you do it in a sort of a natural and organic way, like in the game? And I think one is looking for opportunities to, you know, help 
build off of other people's narratives first, like players, because if the DM says, you know, you walk into a, a tavern and you go, oh, 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 is it a, is, can I describe the tavern? Like that's, that's not how this, this necessarily goes. I mean, I guess you could, uh, if your GM was like, uh, sure, you know, Matt, I guess you can describe the tavern. I'll just throw out the six you know, <laughs> lines of, of uh, description I've written. Um, I, I think from the player side, it's a little bit trickier. A lot of that collaboration is more so, I think, building off of other players' actions and collaborating with one another. Um, as long as the GM is open to you being, uh, you know, to it being a more back and forth player and GM collaboration, then I think in that case, it's really just looking for the opportunities where you can kind of, uh, if you see someone struggling with, you know, a scene. You know, you say, well, what if, I don't know, what if this was happening? Or what if this person was there? And just kind of helping, making it uh, less of like putting the spotlight on yourself and more recognizing when others um, can use a little bit of help and, and sort of chiming in there. Yeah, that's that's huge. I uh, Like that is, I, I think that goes even beyond collaborative storytelling, right? It's it's just being a fan of, of the other people at the table. It's, it's huge. It's It's so important. But yeah. Under the lens of 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 player collaboration, a hundred percent. If if you're a player and you go up to another player character and you ask them like, "Hey, what's wrong? Like, do you need help with something?" Or that fight was really tough. Like, you you took a beating. Like, are you okay? Is there anything I can yeah. do to help? Just having that character to character scene it enforces the bonds between these two characters. It establishes the relationship that they have. Mm -hmm it you know it, it tells the story of this party yeah. which is a which is really why we're absolutely why we're doing it right like that's if yeah, i'm a game master and that happens i'm sitting back eating popcorn being like yeah, yeah. i could watch this all night long <laughs> absolutely i mean i think that's the that's why so many people i know i know i know it's like it's uh what is it the matt mercer effect people don't like you know oh everyone just compares everyone to matt mercer but i think the thing that for me one of the things that i love most about matt mercer's campaign or um dm style is his use of silence and i'm terrible at it hmm. i he's so good at just describing a scene and then he'll just like sit back because it forces the players to say something because otherwise you're all just sitting awkwardly at the table like waiting for the dm to talk and i think too often um in D, &D it's i'm talking to player a uh i'm talking to player b uh, i'm talking to player c and so as players uh, i think you know if you're if you're sitting in the player's seat doing exactly what you said like going up and talking to another player not forcing your gm to say all right nick and matt you two are on guard what do you talk about together it, it, it makes it sort of awkward, you know, as opposed to just, you know, when the, when the GM asks, Hey, who wants to be on watch? The two people, you know, they just have that scene and, or that interaction. And like you said, making it so that the player, you might ask the player about something that happened. Like, you know, you went down in that fight. Are you feeling all right? Like you said, you saw a vision. Like, can you, can you describe it in more detail to me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Give people, do what you would want somebody else like uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm botching it, but yeah, like if obviously it's something that you would love for somebody to ask you as a player, mm -hmm. well, they want you to ask them to, you know, if, if they're, if they're role-playing that they're feeling down or that they're feeling angry or, or what have you, that's your, that's your cue as a player to approach them and, and try to address that situation. Um, I think another obvious way, and maybe it's, it's 
it's silly for me to bring it up, but you know, your backstory when you're a player, mm -hmm. it's a great way to seed elements for your game master to go and fetch, right? If, yeah. if you, if you throw in some NPCs that have like a mysterious background or, or they disappeared and you don't know what happened to them, things like this, it's, it's just fodder for your game master to add in as like dramatic moments and bonds that your character can mm -hmm. have to the plot. I think that that's a really great way. Um, have you ever yeah. had a really strong backstory that uh, you were able to utilize as a game master? Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. Or, so... or, or the other way around, like you're a player and you 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 built a backstory that was used by your game master. Yeah, I think one of my uh, one of my favorite player characters I ever played, the longest I've ever played a character, was a a gnome wizard who, in his backstory. Uh, and this was a little strange for me because when I created him, I did not have a child. But by the time I finished playing with this character, I had a daughter. But I wrote his backstory so that he had a daughter. I wanted to play an older character I just never had before uh, that I could remember. And so I was like, I want to play a hundred-something-year-old gnome wizard. He had a daughter, had a wife, was very perfectly happy, but his daughter got very sick and he couldn't heal her and no one could fix her. And in a fit of sort of like maniacal wizarding, he cast a petrify spell on her hmm. and as a result his wife was incredibly upset with him like cast him out and he had to go out into the world and his goal in the game because we were like level one characters uh we 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 fudged how he was able to petrify we said it was like a special scroll or something uh his goal was to find a cure for his daughter so that he could then remove the petrification and cure her i think we were 50 sessions in maybe 60 before my DM forced me to reveal that to the other players by having uh, someone basically like projected my my memories in front of the group, and he was like, "So you see, you see Felix, but a younger Felix sitting at the bed of a young girl." And I was like, "Oh, oh God, oh God!" He's describing the thing that I've kept like a deep dark secret, and this is an example of the collaborative um, moment. He said, "You know, hey Nick, do you actually want to tell them what they see?" And I was like, "Ah." Oh, crap yeah I, i'll describe <laughs> it and it was something that i i had all it was always my motivation but i never told the party and he did this this really cool job of like forcing it and by then we were such a tightly bonded party that everyone was like doesn't matter we're gonna do whatever we have to do to help you you know save her that's awesome so. that's great that's a great example of of backstory coming in and, and being used by the game master and did, did you see that intentionally for it to come up I mean, yeah, eventually, I just, really? it's funny, I thought, I kept thinking, it was like real life, it's like, it's like I was this character, I kept thinking, well, I'm going to tell them at the next town, I'm going to tell them after we're done dealing with this threat, I'm going to tell them, and I just, there, we even RP'd a scene where I was really drunk, and I, one of the players asked me why I always played this music box at night, and this is, again, an example, like you said, of like a D, of a player asking another player something. Because I always described my character before I went to bed. He took out this like little music box and he played it to fall asleep. And I like drunkenly told him that it was it was my daughter's. And I kind of said enough that they were like, "Oh, his daughter must have like passed away or something." Mm -hmm. But I was vague enough that they didn't necessarily catch on to exactly what had happened. And so, uh, no, I didn't plan for it to come out that way. But I, I've been rambling on this. What, 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 what this actually makes me think of going back to like the original point of all this is backstories and collaborating it's i think building a backstory that has a lot of easily connectable parts to it 
it's it's the antithesis of like I want to play. I was an evil god, and I fell from the heavens, and I was cursed to be reborn as a mortal. Like to where none of the other players can possibly have any reasonable way to be connected with you. Like, uh, yeah, I guess I was the farmer where this dark god landed and became a level one fighter. Like, I think building a backstory that is fleshed out but includes room to like. Oh, that that coastal town you mentioned you were from, that actually works really well. I'm a sailor. Like, what if I knew, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's yeah. making it so it, it, the pieces can fit together. Just descriptive enough, but vague enough that it can, yeah, it can be superimposed into the setting that you're in with the factions that are that are playing a pivotal role mm -hmm. in the drama that you're, you know, that's unfolding in front of you. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think if I can, if I can take that and go a little bit farther with it, Backstory is one great way for players to 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 showcase uh, opportunity for collaboration. I think another way that people don't use often enough as players is committing to positions. You know, if if you're in an environment where there's a morally gray, a morally gray dilemma that the party mm -hmm. is confronted with, instead of you know. You still need some people to explore the morality of it, but I think what makes it even more interesting is you as a player give your character a position on that problem. Before mm -hmm. it, be against it, and have a reason why. Even if you didn't know what it was, just pick a, pick a position and you can figure it out later. And by doing that, you're telling everybody else at the table, Here's, here is some, something to chew on. Let, let's, let's see where it takes us. So it's it's kind of being collaborative. It's kind of being selfish a little bit, but but by taking a position that you don't fully understand, it just gives somebody to step as a stepping stone for the story to move forward. Because mm -hmm. now your game master can use that information. Oh, you were for saving the child instead of that, um, you know, the cart full yeah. of peasants because sure. you have a soft soft spot for children. I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna use that somewhere down the road mm -hmm. it, it it creates drama which yeah. creates story which pushes it forward i yeah yeah i think it's just a matter of like are you are you the person who like no i want to play a min maxed uh sorcerer paladin multi-class and i'm going to be a lone wolf i'm never going to work with the party and i'm always you know that is the antithesis of what i'm talking about here like i know as a gm collaborating with the players is you're having them affect the world um whereas as, as a player Unless you're invited to do so, your main avenue for collaboration is with the fellow players, um, and and so and sometimes with the with the with the DM with their NPCs, you can sort of be like, hey, I'm not talking to you, GM. I'm talking to this NPC. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're not saying, hey, Matt, can I do this? You're saying to like, you know, Garth, whatever the commoner that you've met, you're you're steering them in a direction that you're not necessarily sure about or certain of where it's going to go but you are you are you are trying to affect the story with your decision um in a way as opposed to again the just well tell me what the mission is tell me what the quest is where are we going okay all right let's go you know i yeah. I, I think it's so important when you can get players to instead of saying yeah i negotiate with the blah 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 is to say like well you're comfortable with it why don't you like, you can what do you say to him um i will almost always take that over having a player role now, if it's for nego it's for haggling with a with a uh, you know twelve copper off of a 
wagon wheel, then sure, just roll for it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think I would much rather watch my players talk to the DM or the, the NPCs or to each other. Yeah, yeah. And and players can can kind of have creative ways of involving NPCs. Like NPCs are also characters in this game, right? They're characters with motivations, with desires. And your game master is going to love you if you enable those characters to showcase those motivations. Mm -hmm. So as a player, if you ask an NPC for help, you ask for their opinion on something, or you... Something that a player did to me that I thought was great. They opened a door for me that I loved. Um, I'm going back to the Game Master hat. I'm sorry. I'm mm -hmm. going all over the place. But basically what happened was I was running this pirate campaign, and one of the NPCs was supposed to be a close acquaintance with one of the other characters. We didn't really figure out why. And that player character came up came up with it. He said, This this person is my um he's my like message sender, what have you. He's, he's my communique sure. with my son who is who who is working abroad far away in like this imperial state organization that I don't have access to. But this smuggler sends letters back and forth. And he didn't tell me that. He didn't ask me permission to do that. Mm -hmm. What he did was in one of the letters that he gave his, like, in one of the interactions with this NPC, he gave them a letter. He said, can you give this to my son? And he actually wrote out like a physical letter that he mm -hmm. gave me. And I opened it up and I read it. And it was like, he was telling his, his son, he addressed it to his his beloved son, he hopes he's doing well. He, and he's just yeah. telling him about, you know, the beautiful sunny day he had. He wishes he could <laughs> be with him uh, to, mm -hmm. to, to share that moment. And one day, maybe he will. And I was like, holy yeah. moly. Like that's, you just contributed a nugget of information, a dramatic moment. I love it. Maybe the sun's going to come up. He hasn't come up since. But, sure. it, you know, he's, he's, he's laying the groundwork for himself. Um, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think to bring us back to the player, I mean, again, you can't do any of this without a willing GM, but I think sometimes it's just just respond. Just reply to the GM. When the GM asks a question or leaves a space, like be comfortable with filling you know, it with some information. Um, and, and I think, again, it does come back to like trying not to hog the spotlight. You know, that's where the collaboration comes into it is, yes, it is. Everyone should have their moment. I try to make, I try to have every character have a moment in each, each session, each time we play, but sometimes you're in a, a very heavy arc or a very specific character, heavy arc. So it might be, you know, your character is the paladin and you all are here fighting. You're defending the temple that you were raised in. That's probably going to be, there's going to be a lot of cool moments for you there, but um, as players sometimes recognize that the GM can only do so much. And if like you keep cutting off the other player or you, 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 or as soon as their scene comes up or, you know, something happens with them, you turn down to your phone or you stop paying attention. Like you're not giving them the, it goes back to what you said. You're not, you're probably not treating them the way that you would like to be treated, you know, mm -hmm. during your scenes. Um, Absolutely. I keep saying scenes. I know we're not talking about movies, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the, the, those role play scenes between characters. Yeah. I, I love, I live for that stuff. Th those moments are great, um, and and I really like how you said that. It, and I think we can really focus in on that, where a player is going to have moments, sometimes more than another player, because of the story. Mm -hmm. Like the arc is about them. Sorry, everybody else, 
there's yeah. only so much the GM can do to share the spotlight. Um, but I think the responsibility also falls on that on that player, right? You, you can give that player a heads up, say the next couple games are going to be in your temple. Come, come, like, come with your A game if if you can. Now's your chance to be actively involved in the storytelling. Now's your yeah. chance to have opinions, to have to have positions on things, to have role play moments with NPCs because they're your and like quote unquote yeah. they're they're your relationships. Um, yeah, I completely agree. I I think that you know the, one of the most extreme examples of this of letting the the players kind of affect the game is in the I'm I'm getting ready to, to run a Wild Beyond the Witchlight campaign, the one of the new D D modules, and we ran. This was not my idea. This is this was out there on the internet. They did uh, someone made a prequel adventure where you play kid versions of your characters. You don't have a class. You you don't you have four hit points. All your stats are really low, and it, it's literally supposed to be it's supposed to be pretty low stakes. But you play your characters as children and what they do in that adventure affects the full campaign and so we did that and they got to play kid versions of their characters and and i'm really excited now to start the campaign because like they did certain things and acted and and acted certain ways with each other that now when we come to play it's only going to have been a month for them but it's going to have been 25 years for their characters and so i'm really looking forward to how they rp that scene out like i want to say hey you guys see each other and then just shut up and watch them all like cool riff that's awesome that's really cool it's fun to have a table that's gonna do that too right that's gonna riff that's gonna have those moments together um that's that's awesome yeah um i'm looking at the time and we're a a little over an hour so maybe it's time to wrap things up i don't know if nick you had any other any other insights you wanted to share or any other things you wanted to talk about specifically you know from the player's spot in in all of this uh, no, no. I think we we kind of covered a lot of ground here. I mean, I think just similar to what we were saying about the GM, I think as the player, just um, collaborate to the extent that people are comfortable with it. Don't try and shoehorn your way into someone else's story or or try to hog, again, whatever's going on there. But if you see that, like, hey, they need someone. They need someone to back them up. Or to, like, even, even for a simple... I mean, we're talking, like, mechanics here, but like, to give them advantage on a check or whatever system you're playing in. That's fine, but definitely make sure that it's wanted and it's not a scene where like they're like, I kind of feel like you sort of took that away from me, you know, um, that's that, that's ju- fair. just like the GM. And so it's all about reading people and, and knowing what your friends or hopefully your friends or just the, the people at your table are comfortable with. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And actually, I know I say we're running long, but I'm going to add one other little thing. I, I think so, sometimes you're going to have people at your table, you're going to have players at your table that wants to do this and don't know how. I think, you know, role play is one of those mysterious things that if you're new to the hobby, you don't really, you heard about it, but you don't really know. And honestly, I've been doing this for a long time. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But I think we're going to add in this caveat all the time. We always say it, but don't be afraid as a player, as a quote unquote veteran player at the table to approach a new player outside of the game to say hey your character is going through some stuff do you want me to help you like shine spotlight on that are you are you prepared to talk about that right now and they might Mm -hmm. say no i haven't i haven't thought about enough about it and you're like okay good i'm gonna back off 
and and having those moments outside of the game can can you, you don't want to scare people right you you don't want to yeah. like you said nick shine spotlight on something and they like i don't want to talk about this right now or yeah. i'm not in the emotional like me as a person playing this game i'm not prepared to talk about the death of my father like it's it's yeah. a heavy thing i can't talk about that because i'm not in the right emotional state yeah. personally so whether they're new or not, I guess we should, we should maybe flag it. But anyway, I, I think people want to do it. Hopefully they want to do it if they're at your gaming table. Yeah. Um, maybe give them the nudge, but don't push too hard. Yeah, all of this goes back to you. just please, please do a session zero. I, don't, I almost feel like it's become like, I don't, I, almost, I don't know anyone in my personal life who doesn't do a session zero of some type. I'm not saying you have to do the full RPG consent form safety list. I mean, I think I use them for all of my one shots. I, I appreciate them, but at least have the conversations. And and yes, mm -hmm. you do want to talk about a lot of other stuff, but add collaboration as like a little bullet in that discussion. Say, hey, you know, do you guys want to play a, a, like a, more of a shared narrative where I kind of help you or you all as players help me build it? Um, I, I just can't emphasize enough that, you know, I think make sure the players and people are on board. I feel like yeah, I said that 12 yeah. times now, but. No, it's a it's a good thing to be it's a good thing to repeat. Um, all right, awesome. So I guess then with that, before we you know we we tie a bow on the episode, um, we're gonna talk a little bit about ourselves. So Nick, I'll pass the microphone over to you. And uh, if the listeners of Roleplay Chat wanted to find you somewhere else or find some of your other content, what might mm -hmm. that be, and where can they find it? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Scry Society. Uh, just twitter.com slash scry society. Uh, that's where um, I share in, insightful and not so insightful tweets about D&D, <laughs> TTRPGs, life, um, whatever I've got going on. Um, you can, I also um, can be found on Twitch, also at scry society. Um, that's where we run our monthly one shots and we usually do them the last saturday of the month at 8 p.m eastern that's when we actually have another one coming up this saturday uh well not this saturday because we're recording this episode in the past yeah it, it's <laughs> gonna happen this will go live after your your, mm -hmm. your stream goes, goes well up. i hope it went incredibly well um, <laughs> i hope so too <laughs> but yeah so so we stream charity uh charity one shots at the end of the month um Back to Twitter, if you are ever interested in coming on Scry Society to play a, in a one-shot to help raise money for charity, uh, we, in our pinned tweet, if you scroll down uh, there, you'll find a sign-up sheet through Google Forms, and you can let us know um, whether you're interested or not. Um, we've raised over $2,000 for five different charities so far this year. Um, awesome. And we're really excited about that. And the last place you can find me or find my stuff, uh, I'm the community manager for Shard Tabletop which is a virtual tabletop specifically designed for D&D 5th edition. Um, I am, uh, in addition to being the community manager there, I also have published an adventure called Into the Mists, a D&D 5th edition adventure, which you can get in their marketplace. Um, and I've, I've run that on uh, a couple couple streams now. But cool. What's, what's yeah. it about? What's the, what's the elevator pitch for Into the Mists? Uh, elevator pitch, it's, a very, it's kind of a classic. It's, it's the one I mentioned earlier. You're hired uh, by a very powerful magic user to obtain a magical artifact of theirs uh, that 
crashed in a ship on the shores of a uh, vast, dangerous swamp covered in a perpetual mist. And the players start the adventure off in the, the starting town. There is a little town called Last Port, which is built from the wreckage of hundreds of ships that have crashed on the nearby shores over the last several decades. So it's... Um, uh, it's for like level. It's somewhat low level. It's meant for like between level two and level four for starters. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's my first adventure that I've ever written and published. I made all the maps for it, uh, and you can get it for I think less than seven bucks. And it's like eight to ten hours of content. Um, cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'll definitely have to go check out. Uh, I'll have to check that out, and I'll have to go check out your forum because maybe one of these days, uh, I'd yeah. love to, to join you for one of these. Yeah, and I didn't. I'd encourage your listener, any of your listeners who are, you know, you can, you, it's not just D and D again, we're running kids on brooms. I'm, I might have to check fates out, uh, fade out. Um, there are other, I, I'm very much open to trying out uh, other systems. So all we ask is that people are um, friendly and, and open-minded and can work, you know, play well with others. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So make sure you guys go check Nick out and all of, all of his great, amazing content. Maybe the Into the Mist sounds like a is, is that what it's called Into the Mist? Y yes, Into the Mist. Yep. It sounds like a good Halloween. Uh, a Halloween. Yeah, it sounds it, yeah. pretty scary. It's it, it's pretty spooky. We recently ran it for a, another charity stream. Uh, and and sorry, last thing I realized I should I would be remiss if I did not say I was recently uh, selected to be a Jasper's Game Day ambassador for the 2022 year. So you may see me throughout the year participating in Jasper's Game Day events. Uh, to just plug them really quick for folks who don't know, Jasper's Game Day is a nonprofit that is focused on um, raising funds for suicide prevention, suicide awareness, um, and destigmatizing um, mental health and discuss issues of you know discussing it. Uh, and they do all of that usually um, and typically through TTRPGs. So uh, it's an incredible organization. You should definitely check out um, the website. Um, just Google Jasper's Game Day, uh, and you'll find it. And yeah, sorry, I. I, no, that's fine. That sounds really awesome, and it's it's definitely warranted to you know talk about these things. Um, yeah, yeah, awesome. That's that's great. So, if you guys have questions for Nick, go find him on Twitter. That's at Scry Society. I'm sure he he'll point you in the right direction for all of yeah. these these great things. Um, and if you wanted to reach out to me, you can do so at roll underscore play underscore chat at Twitter. Or we have an email address that's contactroleplaychat at gmail.com. And that's that's all of the social stuff. So before we say goodbye, let's maybe do a quick wrap-up of today's episode. So we talked about talked about player collaboration from the game master seat and from the player seat. But before we did that, we defined it. And real quick, that definition was that it was kind of this space where you involve everybody at your table to contribute meaningfully to the story, to the game that you're playing. Um, and then Nick, maybe I'll, I'll pass it over to you. Mm -hmm. In the Game Master seat, what did we talk about? How do we wrap up uh, collaborative storytelling? Yeah, I think just uh, you know involving your players to the extent that they're comfortable with, um, leaving space spaces for them in the narrative to to kind of fill in with either you know new fresh ideas or elements from their backstory, and um, not being afraid to let them not only help you build past of the the world that you you all are existing in, but also contribute to sort of the present or the future. Uh, actions of your your campaign, the events, excuse me, of your your campaign. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then from the player side, we talked about um, we, we talked about seeding your backstory with events or characters that your game master can use. We also talked about being a fan of other players, having those interactions with them help shine the spotlight on moments that you think would be dramatic or fun. And lastly, we talked about picking a position and and just having objectives and taking a position on on some of the problems that the game. Uh, some of the story, some of the problems that the story is encountering. There you go. Yes. Apologies for that. Um, and with that, uh, thank you, Nick, for being on the show. It was a, a true pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Matt, for having <laughs> me. I'm, it's great to have finally again. I've, I know I mentioned it before we started recording. I've you know been listening and watching your your show for a while now, so it's um, pretty neat to be be on as a, as a guest. Yeah, great to have you. And with that, we will call it a chat. <laughs>